What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless. It is RPG a day month, and we're going to be here every single day. So let's get into the show. That's right, everybody. It is the first day of RPG a day 2023, the 10th anniversary of RPG a day, which coincidentally sort of links up with what I'm going to talk about today, which the prompt for day one is what was the first game you played this year? This year, not ever, but this year. So we're going to talk about that. After that, I got like 11 minutes of calls about training. So if you're just here for RPG a day, that's totally cool. That's totally awesome. Uh, We're going to do that first. But afterwards, if you're interested, I got calls from people you haven't heard from in a while, people you've never heard from on this show before. I've struck a nerve with this training topic, and it's amazing. This topic alone has generated more calls than in a long, long time. So, hell yeah. (laughs) But let's talk about what came first. Okay, so like I said, the first game I played this year sort of links up with the 10th anniversary of RPG a Day. Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe the first book of the Wrath of the Righteous Adventure Path was released in 2013. Which would have been the same year as the first RPG a Day. And the first game I played this year was on January 7th. 2023 it would have been a saturday here in the states and it was of wrath of the righteous and i am just so so happy that this game is up and running we're we're trucking through it i'm just it's awesome this is i mentioned it before but this adventure path has been a white whale of mine for about 10 years and the fact that we're actually tackling it now is amazing The party is getting ready to wrap up book three. And so I've read through all of book four now. And book four is just crazy. I've mentioned it before, but it's absolutely awesome. I, you know, I have no idea which characters are going to be a part of that book. Because the party still has some serious, serious tasks ahead of them uh, to finish up book three. They're currently... On a mission to rescue a heretical succubus, though the party isn't sure if they are walking into a trap or not. They do know, however, they do know that they are walking into a goddamn hornet's nest. They are trying to they are trying to get at an entrenched enemy force in a fortified stronghold, and they're gonna the party's gonna try and root them out. And that's never an easy task. That's a tough road to hoe. And then after that, the party's got to find and then neutralize the Ivory Sanctum, home base for the Templars of the Ivory Labyrinth, who are led by some creepy dude named Xanthir Vang. And there's also some sinister woman around named Jerebeth, who's been causing some problems for the party, too. That's going to be a hard nut to crack. And so, yeah, man, I... (laughs) I don't know which characters are going to be there, but I'm just so happy that I have an awesome group. Um, I, I put in so much, so much work into this campaign. Cause like I've said, I find personally, I find homebrew stuff way, way easier to run than pre-written stuff. 
um, especially on roll 20 where I'm having to build a bunch of monsters and put maps together. But, but I, it's been so worth it. It's been absolutely worth it. Uh, I really, really hope, and I'm sure they do, that my players appreciate all the all the work I put into this game because it's 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 rad, man. I I really really love it. Book four is my f- yeah probably my favorite of any of the adventure paths books that I've read. And now I haven't read all of them or played through all of them or anything like that, but I've played through or read enough of them where I put this one easily book four of wrath of the righteous. I put e- this easily at the top. Um, second might be the first book of carrion crown, but yeah, book four of wrath of the righteous. I can't wait to get there. It's just friggin' cool, man. It's, it's so metal. It's goddamn metal. Um, but yeah, that, that's been the first, that's been the first game and it's it's awesome man i'm glad that was the first game it'll probably be the last game i play this year too because i believe we have a game scheduled right around new year's so we'll see if that game actually happens but not a whole lot of games happen there around that time anyway so it very well could be the first game i play in 2023 and the last game i play in 2023 and i think that would kind of just be perfect you know So that was my entry for the first of RPG A Day 2023. What was the first game I played this year? If you're not interested in hearing calls, you can can go away now. No harm, no foul. Otherwise, let's get into some calls. This first one is from a first-time caller. I believe a first-time caller. Um, Going back to a conversation we had that started on Spencer's show, Keep Off the Borderlands where Spencer was playing around with an AI trying to run an RPG using just an AI, ChatGPT. And it seemed that the ChatGPT had a much easier time being the dungeon master than it did being the player. So that prompted me to call in to question, maybe, despite all, you know, what everybody else says, maybe the player's are making more decisions at the table than the dungeon master is that that's where this conversation started. It's kind of bounced all over the place. Uh, I've talked about it here. I've talked about it on Jason's show, maybe on Spencer's show for sure. Uh, and so dark fluid, the first time caller, he's got something to say about it. So Mr. Fluid, take it away. This is dark fluid from the audio dungeon discord. I I'm with Jason. I take a little bit Umbridge the fact that you say that DMs aren't making decisions as a DM who frequently flies by the seat of his pants, doesn't do enough prep, or prefers things like one-page dungeons where there's a room simply has a brief but evocative, you know, one-line description of what is going on to let me fill in the rest or uh, improvise. I'm making constant decisions, and I may be more than the players because I have to interact with four or five players why they only have to uh, worry about their own character and I'm worrying about NPCs, monsters, everything else with a what color the flame of the torch is and the you know what's depicted on the artwork on the wall that I'm coming up with on the fly. But you know, it's it's all the different style of game and and whether you're running with pre-prepared stuff and hey man, it's all in good fun anyway. But uh I it's 
it's about time I called in on something. So it was a good excuse. Uh, keep up the good work. I it's, always love hearing your stuff. And I promise at some point, if it returns, I will have a sausage call for you. So, Yeah, dude, it's totally all about fun. And thank you so much for that call. Awesome name, by the way. Dark Fluid sounds cool. Um, also, dude, your message to Jason on the Princess Bride episode was amazing. You talked about listening or watching Princess Bride with your younger sister. I watch Princess Bride with my older sister all the time. We still quote that movie to each other constantly, like right on, man. So, yeah, I if I did say Dungeon Masters don't make any decisions at the table, I certainly didn't mean that. I certainly didn't mean that. I wasn't trying to disparage Dungeon Masters. Dungeon Masters do make a lot of decisions. Uh, but you said players only have to worry about their one character. But they, that, they do have to worry about more than that. They have to worry about what's going on in the world and whether they want to go left or right. Or if they want to look at that flame, that torch on the wall, that's a green flame instead of a regular flame. Like player, And you mentioned it. You said Dungeon Masters you have to come up with a lot of decisions almost or more than the players. Like that's what I'm getting at is that the players, when you're playing an RPG and I run as much as I play, well, these days, I guess I'm playing more. I used to run a lot more. And back then it was all homebrew stuff or the majority was homebrew. Uh, and like you, I rarely prep stuff and now I'm playing more, so I see it from kind of both sides, and I, I just feel like Dungeon Masters get... Players don't get enough credit, right? That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, everyone... Oh, players only have to worry about their one character, but not really. Not an invested player is going to be worrying about a heck of a lot more than just their one character. They're going to be worrying about everything that's going on in the world and thinking about those things and making decisions on what their character should do based on the information that they're getting from the dungeon master. So that that's all I was trying to get at. Players make a ton of decisions. Dungeon masters make a ton of decisions and it's all awesome fun. And making those decisions is part of what makes role-playing games so awesome, man. You know, like it, they're they're just not like anything else. They're not a board game. They're not a novel. They're they're this. They're not a video game. They're this amalgamation of friggin' everything awesome, boiled down into one cool little book that you can blow up into a multi-year campaign. You can run one shot. You can do all sorts of things, and they're just friggin' rad. So, yeah, man, thank you for that call. And again, I'm sorry if I caused you any umbrage. I did. <laughs> I just love that word. I did not mean to uh, imply that Dungeon Masters don't make any decisions. We do. We make plenty of decisions for sure. Even if you're running a homebrew game or sorry, even if you're running a pre-written adventure, I I'm still making decisions, you know, on what the monsters are going to do and stuff. Um, so yeah, man, dungeon masters make plenty of decisions, but so do players. That's where I'm getting at. All right. Well, thank you again for the first time call dark fluid. I'm pretty sure you've never called in before. I'm almost positive. And so that's awesome, man. And like I said, we're going to hear from a few other people we haven't heard from in a long time about training, but first off, we're going to start it off with the old faithful Jason. 
Hey, Joe, Jason here. One last thought for the training thing. I, I think we can go down rabbit holes and do things, but we need to remember that AD&D isn't supposed to be realistic. So when you're looking at AD&D training rules and you're like, man, that's not how I think it works in the real world, that's okay because AD&D isn't the real world. And Gygax calls that out multiple places, probably most famously where he's defending gold for XP and explains, you know, there's a game mechanism and a, and a way to facilitate gameplay. So I think we see the same thing with the training system. It's a, a game mechanic, not meant to be realistic. Now, if that doesn't work for you, that's totally cool. I'm not saying that, you know, Gygax said, so you must bow by his altar or anything. But I, I think to expect it to be realistic when that wasn't the goal might be unfair. So anyway, just the final parting thought. Totally, dude. That's a really, really, really good point. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it's not meant to be emulating real world stuff. So we'll, we'll touch more on that throughout these next few calls for sure. But again, thank you so much for actually sending me the rules on this stuff. So I know for sure how I feel about it now that I've read them, had a time to digest them and think about them. So we'll get into my thoughts and feelings on the training rules here after all these calls. But yes, Jason, that was a brilliant point. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you're, you're 100% right, man. Uh, but let's now hear from somebody we haven't heard from in a long time. Mr. John Allen Large, man. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. It's I'm always shocked when I hear from someone. They send me a message. I was like, Damn, you listen to this? All right. <laughs> it makes me happy, but it always surprises me. So John's got some thoughts on training. Let's get into it. Hey there, Joe. This is John from the Red Die Stories. Just been listening to an episode about training in AD&D. Very much enjoyed it. And I've got to say, I pretty much agree, dude. A combination of improvement through both training and actually doing the activity, whatever it might be, does feel a little bit better in my mind. It's one of the things I love about Burning Wheel, which I bang on about loads on my own podcast, since generally in that game, I know it's not a class-based and level-based system, but in that game, you generally improve on the things that you're doing i.e the things you're making rolls on essentially each time you make a skill roll or whatever you put a little check next to it on the carrot sheet and when you get so many of the checks your skill jumps up a little bit but also there's a training system which in periods of downtime allows you to train up although it's at a much slower rate so i think that game strikes a really nice balance of the two and that really works for me, although I know Burning Wheel isn't the most popular of systems. But hey, I still love it. So yeah, great episode, dude. Keep up the good work. Take care, and I'll catch you soon. Thanks, John. Yeah, man. We're going to touch on other systems for advancement later on as well. But yeah, that Burning Wheel one, that does sound pretty cool. Uh, yeah, Burning Wheel, man. That's just one of those ones that... I got a bad taste in my mouth from watching an actual play of it, and I've just never been into it. But given the right group, the right situation, I'd probably be down, man. And trust me, as a fan of Pathfinder, um, <laughs> I know what it's like. Pathfinder 1E, I know what it's like to like a system that you know isn't the most popular one, <laughs> especially these days, man. 
but yeah, dude, thank you so much for the call, John. And again, thank you for still listening. Um, it's summertime, man. So hopefully you're going to be able to get out there and do some LARPing again this year. Get back at it. That's It's just cool that you and Hannah go out and do that stuff. I absolutely love that. And yeah, I just I wish you and Hannah the best. I'm excited that you're putting out episodes again. If you if y'all didn't know, which I'm sure you do, John Allen Large of the Red Dice Diaries. He was on a bit of a hiatus, but he's been putting out podcast episodes again, and they've been awesome. So go check that out. You know who else puts out episodes of podcast? The GMologist, Carl Rodriguez, and he's got some thoughts about training. He's actually got a lot of thoughts about training. So Carl, take it away, dude. Hey, Joe, here are some thoughts on training. First, I love your Alan Iverson quote uh, a couple episodes ago. And Iverson's point in talking to him after, I mean, it was a really hard time for Iverson at the time. I'm sure you know this, but maybe your listeners don't. A friend of his had just been killed um, within the last six months, and he was pretty testy, and they hadn't done well. That The 76ers, even though going to the championship the previous year, had not done well. He was having problems with uh, Larry Brown, and Larry Brown was just kind of criticizing his lack of practice or practice ethics or whatever. And uh, Iverson's point is, yes, practice is important, but you learn more, in his opinion, in the game because you can never predict the situations. And I think th- I think that's true. I mean, Jason's talking about how these teams do that all the time, but really, a lot of what if you even if you watch, well, I don't know. I don't. I'm. Maybe he has more experience than I do in this sort of things. But I will give an example for, of a Band of Brothers where, yes, there is when in the first episode, they do a lot of training. But after that, when they get into the shit, there's no training. You learn on the job. There's no training for what happens in the Battle of the Bulls. There's no training for urban operations that they do. You just got to react. And that training that you had beforehand can help inform how you're going to react like jason said you know your worst training day is going to be you're going to be 70 percent effective in your worst training day sure but when you're in the shit you don't train i mean look at games that about about survival say like the walking dead or i mean shows about survival like the walking dead they don't stop you know and have a downtime after they've killed a bunch of zombies and go okay now we're going to practice no they learn as they go right i mean every day um they have to deal with survival and i think that's very similar in twilight 2000 right in the twilight any of the twilight 2000 games there's no like we're going to take off for training one we don't have the ammunition to do that because it's a survival game and you got to keep track of everything but really you're going to learn to survive in the shit and i think in a way that's um an approach one could take in D &D, uh, any D &D. and what i thought was interesting what uh pink phantom kind of inspired me to think about is you know it's cool in AD&D, what I loved a lot about AD&D is like the titles. And maybe that's part of the social convention is that you have to rise to become the next title in your class because it's a social convention and you have to find a teacher and this teacher sponsors you and you have to go through the quote unquote paperwork and the, and the payment so that now you're a sanctioned, you know, whatever level fighter you are. I think that's a, a kind of interesting way to look at it. And that jives well, I think, with the medieval idea of guilds and apprenticeship and, and learning to be, go from apprentice to journeyman. And in fact, like Harnmaster does a great job of that. So in the field, as a, say for example, as a spellcaster, 
you know, you learn as you do, you gain skills as you do, but you can never rise to the next level until you go back to the school and go through a series of exams and tests and go through your training to see if, to see that the school wants you to, or can, the school believes that your on-the-job training out in the field actually taught you something. And I think that's a cool way to look at this AD&D training is like, okay, you come back, you come back and then there's a social convention whereby, uh, you know, if you're going to be whatever the title is, the fifth level fighter, then, you know, you need to prove yourself to a higher level fighter to show that you did learn what you were doing. So then you can be sanctioned, you know, in the charter of your adventuring company as having such expertise. And eventually, I think, I remember, I feel like in some, it was seventh level, but maybe Fan, Pink Phantom is right, it's ninth level when you reach name level, that you don't have to do that anymore because you're well-respected and you can sponsor yourself and other people to do what, uh, what you had to do to sanction yourself as a gilded adventurer, right? So I think that's a really cool way to look at it. And if I, I would, I've wanting, been wanting to run AD&D rules as written, but in my mind, I have to like justify some of the, the things that they do have, the rules that they have in AD&D to make it work in my fiction. Uh, if not, I lose, I lose immersion, uh, I lose a verisimilitude, but that's just the way my mind works. So I hope that was helpful and maybe that can bridge the gap but um, but I think that's uh, pretty cool. All right. And maybe one more thing to add, both um, anecdotally from my experience and what I've seen on and how they document um, shows in the military. Usually, you do have a debriefing about about what engagements or whatever had, and it's a it's a lot of sitting and talking, a lot of info dump on what happened, what went well. Um, but uh, I, I don't know that you kind of try to recapitulate that scenario in like a training montage, uh, from what I recall, um, both in, in ship combat um, or what I see in like infantry uh, situations, right? So, um, so yeah, I think I, you learn as you go, you debrief what you've done, and then you try to learn from those mistakes that maybe were made and survive. Thank you for that message, Carl. That was awesome. And thank you for talking about Iverson there. Yeah, because I, I left out the context for that, for his quote there, because it often gets taken out of context. Like he was some prima donna player who thought he was too good to practice. And what the rest of that conference, he goes on to say, I practice when I'm able to practice. If Though, if I don't feel I can practice, I'm not going to practice. Um and I think that's a totally valid point, especially, especially when you're as good as Allen Iverson was. That dude never gets enough credit. Um, you know, the fact that they never won, that he never won an NBA championship. That's people take that as a pretty big blemish on his ability as a player. And it, it's just not, man. <laughs> it's just not. Uh, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. If he was playing in today's game, get out of here, man. It would be Allen Iverson would be friggin' MVP all day, every day, man. Um, but yeah, dude, you mentioned the Pink Phantom. And so based on Pink Phantom's call, I asked the question, in AD&D, did people play out the training scenarios because the way phantom laid it out it sounds like you could 
right? Uh, especially after having read the rules, your character could be out of gaming, out of adventuring action for a very, very long, like multiple months at a time, possibly. Um, and so I asked the question, do, did you guys who played AD and D, did you game out those training sessions? And Jason, my buddy, my big dog, Jason, he was cool enough to call in and answer my question. So Jason, did you? Hey, Joe, Jason here. Just to answer your question, in the AD&D games I've been in, we never played out the training. It was always, nope, that character's not available there in training, so we play a different character. So we, we never did role play out the training. Uh, that could be interesting, definitely. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, to answer your question, no, we don't normally role play that out. Maybe some groups do. I'm interested to see if anybody historically did. Maybe Carl did. I know Carl played a lot of AD&D, so maybe he'll chime in on this. Okay, talk to you later. Well, we just heard from Carl, and he did mention it, so I'm guessing they didn't play out the training scenarios. Um, so, yeah, if anyone else has any thoughts, if you guys did play out the trainings in AD&D or not, let me know. Um, or if you think that would just be dumb. Personally, I would want I would want to, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch. Now, well, let's get into it here because the last call, the last message is titled The Last Word. And so, so it shall be. Okay, so now that I've had time to read and think about the AD&D training rules, yeah, man, they're, 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 they're not for me. They're not for me. I, I'm not, you know, and I get the whole idea of playing multiple characters and then, but it, you're, you're always going to be playing multiple characters. I don't know. That to me, that just seems like you're starting over all the time. Um, yeah, because your, your dudes, your characters are out of action for so long with these rules. Like for a month straight, you know, at certain, like, you're just out for a long time. And it's expensive. That The money doesn't bother me. Um you know, I've, I've said it before. I'm, I'm not a fan of a huge fan of the ratings system, though. I, I'm not as opposed to it as I once was having actually read them now, because it's not so much about. I mean, it's very prescriptive. It tells you how you should play your character in order to advance in the game. But if that's the rules of the game, you know, it makes it a little more board gamey, I think, that you this character has to you know, move in this direction. It's like chess, right? Each piece can only do certain things. And that's sort of what it seems like he was trying to get at. Like the fact that it talks about if your rogue is ever at the front of a fight, that's like the worst thing a rogue can do. But sometimes rogue might have to be at the front of the fight because maybe the front of the fight comes from the back and you're getting jumped from the back. And so you're going to punish that rogue player for being there, protecting his friends like ah, I don't know but you know I get it I get it that was the game those are the those are the mechanisms for the game and it was a different time back then it was a different time I don't think they fully realized everything that an RPG could become uh, and I think yeah man I, I, I feel like there's a reason they sort of got away from especially 
the ratings and the training session because, I, yeah, like I said, that just that feeling of always starting over. Like, okay, I played this character. We've been playing him for, you know, a couple months straight in the real world. I'm really getting a feeling for this guy. And now he's got to train. And now I can't play him again for, oh, yeah, because we're using one-to-one time. So he's going to be in training for four weeks. So I can't play this guy for a month. I got to find it. I got to have a new character that I play for four weeks in a row. You know, that feeling, it's a different feeling than what I'm used to because I never played AD&D, but it's just, it feels a little odd to me. But no, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's the worst thing ever. I hate it or would never play it or anything like that. I'm just saying it doesn't, doesn't feel that good to me. But they are interesting, man. And it's, it's, you know, like that one song says, don't forget your roots. I don't know who sings that. Uh, anyway, man, <laughs> thank you for answering my question. If other folks feel free, if, if other folks have stuff to say about if you actually gamed out your AD&D training sessions, let me know. Okay. Like I said, this message is titled the last word and it is from the man the myth the legend himself ray otis ray what you got to say hi joe this is ray i'm a little late calling in about the idea of training versus real experiences and leveling up um i think because i don't really care like That's wrong. I do care. But I think the argument is somewhat silly because uh, people are citing like, oh, in real life, in real life, in real life. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, we're talking about a game. (laughs) We are talking about a game. We're not talking about practice. We're talking about a game. Uh, The game is uh, not realistic, right? It's not a realistic game. So why do we get so obsessed with realism? But I mean, if we're going to talk about that, um, then you learn from failure, right? As much as from success, you learn from doing things. Certainly, uh, doing things is a more potent learning experience typically than running through the motions. But if, also, you, you learn from running through the motions, from practice. So it's like the nature versus nurture argument. The answer is both. But the real question is, is it fun? Uh, if it is not fun to have to put weeks of training in between levels, then we shouldn't do it. Uh, regardless of whether it feels realistic or not. And uh, we can rationalize it however we want, but I would prefer to start with something that is fun and has a, a, a just a general seemliness of, um, like, you know, it feels sort of real at in the fiction of the world or in the fiction of the game, but uh, isn't, you know, we sort of rationalize it after the fact is easier than trying to build something up simulation, uh, simulation-wise from from scratch and trying to figure out, okay, well, what percentage of learning comes from practice and what percentage of learning comes from experience and um, how do we model that in the game? Nah, screw that. Like, it's it's about fun, right? It's about fun. I love that Ray comes in and wraps up this whole multi-episode discussion in less than two minutes and just nails it, dude. It is all about fun. Ray said it was the last word. It is the last word. For now. Uh, so thank you so much for that message, Ray. That kicked ass. Super good to hear from you. I miss hearing your voice. I love it. Welcome back. Let me get out of here. 
All right, so I know that my first RPG a day episode was like 30 minutes long. I promise the rest of them will not be this long. Uh, but at least I put the RPG stuff at the beginning, so that's something, right? <laughs> anyway, th- this this conversation, Ray mentioned it, it's silly, it is on training, but it's, like I mentioned at the top, it generated so many awesome messages from folks I have never heard from before, from folks I haven't heard from in a long time, and I just re- really want to say thank you to everybody who sent in a message. Thank you to Dark Fluid from the Audio Dungeon Discord. Thank you to Jason. Thank you to John Allen Large of Red Dice Diaries. Uh, Jason, if you didn't know, is from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thank you to Carl Rodriguez, the GMologist from the GMologist Presents podcast. Uh, and thank you to Ray, Ray Otis, man. I almost said Ray Allen. I wish Ray Allen would call into my show. That would be the best, man. <laughs> but thank you to Ray Otis of Plundergrounds. Ray, you are the man. It was so great to hear from you. Everybody out there, I hope you are having an awesome time. It's, yeah, man, it's RPG a day. It's RPG a day. You're going to be hearing a lot from me, so I'm going to end it here. Take it easy, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Take care of somebody else if you can. Stay hydrated and peace out.